If you would stand with me and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17. And we will begin reading in verse 1. Gospel of John 17 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I came to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are while i was with them in the world i kept them with your i kept them in your name those whom you gave me i have kept and none of them i is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled but now i come to you and these things i speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true. Jesus, as we read these words here this morning, we thank you because you prayed for us even before we existed in this reality. 
you prayed for your disciples. And today, Lord God, as we begin this new series in this new year, may these words of this prayer resonate in our hearts. May we hear from you, God, and may we seek to honor you. May we seek to walk in alignment with what you prayed for your church. God, glorify your name in our time as we are in your word together. May we hear from you clearly, but may we not just hear, but God, may we obey and bring you glory as we live for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along, take some notes, uh, and be sure that uh, you utilize this as a tool, right? As I, as I have shared always um, since we started handing out outlines pretty much, you're a disciple of Jesus. And so as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus, you are called to make disciples of other people. You're not just called to just learn more about Jesus, but you're called to share what you are learning about Christ. Christ with others, and so you can use this as a tool to sit down with someone, and I pray that in this year that you will make sure that you do that, that you sit down with someone and that you commune with them, that you talk about what you're learning, and that if you have a goal, that that, that you would make that one of your goals um, for this year. And so we are beginning a new series um, today, and the series is entitled When Necessary, When Necessary. And there's a quote that, I, that I've heard a few times. I've read it. It's, it's a quote. I don't I want you to say amen when I say this quote because it sounds really good. It sounds like it should get an amen, but I want you to know I think it's borderlines on heretical, okay? And so here's the, here's the quote. The quote is, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Hence the reason when necessary. My question is, when is it necessary to use words to preach the gospel? I want you to know this. It is always necessary to use words to preach the gospel. That's the reason why I don't like the quote. Because first of all, the quote, they try to say that Augustine said this or, you know, I've, I've read, like, try to, I try to figure out, like, where did this quote come from? They can't even find out who said it. And I doubt that anybody who really reads their Bible and takes it seriously would ever say something like that, right? Because you cannot preach the gospel without words. Now, you can live for God without saying words. Amen? You can live a godly life without saying anything. You can do good things for people without ever communicating those things. But you cannot preach the gospel. You and I cannot preach the gospel without words. And so it is always necessary. And this morning I want to speak to you with a message entitled, Mind Your Mission. Anybody ever been told, mind your business? Anybody ever been told? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Mind your business, right? When you're when you're kids, when you're a kid, right? You know, when I was a kid, I remember this is grown folk talk, right? Like this is this is grown people conversation. Go over there, right? You ever you ever heard? And I know none of y'all ever heard that, right? And and as as an adult, right? There are moments that you ask the children to excuse themselves because you're going to have some adult conversation because there are certain things that kids shouldn't hear. Amen. Right, there's certain conversations. And, and so when you think about that, right, when I talk about mind your mission, what, what, I, what I think is in today's, you know, vernacular or whatever, it would be stay in your lane, church. That's what we need to do. We need to stay in our lane. We need to figure out where it is that God has called us to walk what he's called us to do, and we need to stay in that lane. We need to mind the mission that God has put us on. And everything that we're going to hear and everything that we're going to see in our lives, in our days, I preached at the end of the year about being focused, right, about removing whatever it is that is hindering your focus, right? And so as we move into this year, I really hope that we can do that. And so we're going to spend some time in the gospel 
Gospels. We're going to spend some time looking at Jesus and how he preached the gospel, how he shared it. And so our focus, if you look at your outline there, our focus in 2020 must begin with the greatest command. The greatest command, Jesus was asked what it was, and gospel, and, and the gospels record his answer. And Jesus replies and he says, the greatest commandment of all is, you know, is, is what? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he adds to it, he says, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I would say is this, is that our focus in 2020 must begin with the greatest commandment. And so what am I saying? In 2020, if you want to stay focused, here's the key. I'm going to give you the key to all of 2020. If you want to stay focused the way that you need to, here's what you need to do. You need to be focused primarily on loving God with all your heart. On loving God with all your soul. I know that sounds really simple, right? But it's not that simple. To love, I love the way that Jesus communicates it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Why is Jesus do, saying that? Is it because he wants us to break down every single one of those? Maybe it is. Or is he trying to show us how difficult it really is to love God? Because when we think about loving God, right, we think about, well, I love the Lord, right? But do you love God? Jesus makes it clear. If you go back, and you don't have to do this right now to take you a little bit of time, but if you go back to chapter 13 in the Gospel of, of John that we just read, this is where this, this all begins. The Last Supper begins in chapter 13. Jesus sits down with his disciples. That's when he washes his disciples' feet. And when he's talking in there, he talks about those who keep my commandments, those are the ones that love me. You see, keeping God's commandments are not that simple, not that easy. That's the reason why we're called to carry a cross. Following Jesus isn't just getting up every day and feeling good about stuff, but it is about following him even when it is difficult. And trust me, it's going to be difficult. You have the grace for all that difficulty. We have the grace to do that, but what do we have to do? We have to be focused. So you want to stay focused. You want to make sure that you don't get sidetracked or you don't get derailed or you don't fall off somewhere. You know what you do? you focus on one thing primarily above everything else and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all of your being that you commit to doing that and then the second thing it must culminate not just there because it's not just about loving God because here's the thing for some people they'll talk about their love for God but they ignore love for others they talk about, I love God with all my heart, and yet they mistreat, they dismiss, they dishonor and disrespect. They don't care about other people. And so that's why Jesus says, listen, he tells it in another place, he says, but all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. That's what he says. When, the, when, he's, when he's answering this question, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on and he says, and all of the law of, of, of God, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So it's kind of like a picture that is really heavy that you have to hang on two different posts and that way it doesn't fall off the wall. All of God's law is, is what? It's about loving God and about loving your neighbor. And so in 2020, that's what I hope that we'll do. Our core commitments, we say this every week practically, that we are committed to loving God, to growing together, to serving, and to reaching others. This reflects this focus. This, these core commitments reflect that focus. And so if you will be committed to loving God, right, then you're going to have that first part of the commitment down. And then how do we love our neighbors? Well, I tell you, we have some different types of neighbors. <clears throat> we have some neighbors that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what we should be doing? With our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be growing together with them, right? We should be committed to growing in relationship with them. 
We're getting ready in a couple of weeks to launch our, our Core Connect Life Groups. For some of you that are not part of Core Connect Life Groups, those are our small groups. And so we are committed to growing together. And one of the primary ways that we do that is through our Core Connect Life Group. So if you are not part of a Core Connect Life Group, there is a next step for you, and that is called Rooted. And Rooted is, is a time that you gather to understand what it really means to connect with the body, to really lay the foundation. That's the first step for you to get into that. And so I encourage you to grow together, to be be committed to loving others, right, in that sense. So you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you do what? You grow together with them. There's another thing that you do that has to do with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but it also overflows into the world, and it is called serving. And so what we do is this. When you love others, you will serve them based upon your gifts. Brother Troy in the, in the men's group in Realm, and I don't know how many of you guys are actually on Realm for the men that are here, but if you are not on Realm, if you're not getting the messages that are in Realm, I encourage you to talk to me, Pastor Aldo. You can talk to Hector, and we'll make sure that you get uh, on Realm correctly so that way you can hear the encouragements that are there. And if you're there, I encourage you to at least, you know, do some kind of emoji or something. Let us know you're listening or paying attention. Don't just be like, oh, I read that. It's all good. But let us know what you think about that. Engage with us, right? Because if I don't know if you heard it, then I can't hold you accountable to it. I know that's why some of you don't reply. Uh-huh. Because you don't want nobody to be like, hey, man, you, 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 know, you, you thumbed up that. You, know, you were like, yo, man, amen that. But are you living that thing? But anyway, Brother Troy, he posted in there, and he talked about, hey, guys, you know, let this be a year. And I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember it word for word. I didn't write it down here. But, you know, guys, look at your gifts. Look at your talents. Look at where you're gifted. And commit to serving in the areas where you are. Why? Because God, church, listen to me now. You have been given gifts and God has given you these gifts to do what? To serve him for his glory. And as you serve him for his glory, guess what you're doing? You're serving others for the glory of God. You're serving others, and you're either, A, helping the body of Christ, right, through your gifts, or you're helping those who don't know Christ through your gifts to be able to see Christ in you and opening doors and opportunities for the gospel. But then there's a third type of neighbor that we have, and that neighbor is the one that does not know Christ. And that is the neighbor that we are committed to loving. And what do we want to do? We want to reach them with the gospel, reaching others with the gospel. And so what we have to do is this. Over the next few months, we will be focusing on this last core commitment. Why are we going to spend some time doing this? Because as I prayed about this and as I thought through this and I'm like, okay, God, I, I want us to be a church that makes a greater impact, right? We went to two services like two years ago and it was to do what? To make more room. It wasn't to make your life more convenient. Hello, somebody, right? Because I know that's what we think. Like we think, oh, I got a first, I got a, I got a 9 a.m. service. I get out of here by 1030 because Bishop got to be done. Hello. I ain't got to stay late, so I just come early to, to the first. And I, 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 I come to early, early first service, all good. But I come early to first service, and then I can conveniently be out of here, go have brunch, and then live the rest of my, my Sunday. Or you come to the 11 o'clock service, and you're like, hey, I get up late, right? I don't have to get up that early, and I can hang out, and it doesn't matter, right? Either way, it wasn't for convenience. You know why we did that? We did that to make room. We did that to make room. And I want you to know, we've had services where we are gathered together, and guess what? We, if we do one service, we don't fit in this place consistently because when everybody shows up, guess what? There's not enough seats for everyone. That's a problem. Hello, church. 
So here's the thing. The thing is, what are you doing in order to bring people to Jesus? Well, it's necessary that you preach the gospel. But I think sometimes we get intimidated, right? Sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we're doubtful. Sometimes we don't know how to share the gospel in an effective way. And so here's the thing. Rather than looking at different models that try to make everyone fit into one mold, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus evangelized. We're going to look at how Jesus dealt with different people and how he ministered to them and how he brought the gospel into their lives. I've never done this before. This is the first time that I actually be doing this. Is I read a book a couple of years ago. I didn't read the, the whole thing. I read most of it. And the book is called Learning Evangelism from Jesus. Really, it, it's, it's a pretty long book. But in that book, he walks through some really some specific things in the scripture. And so I figured, well, man, I, all he did was he walked through the gospels and he pulled out stories and he did what? He looked at how Jesus evangelized, how Jesus ministered, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through that same exact journey, and we're going to look at how Jesus did this. But today, we want to lay this foundation. And so here's what I want you to think about this morning. The Christ follower's mission is world saving, one life at a time. The Christ follower's mission is world saving, one life at a time. You know, you ever watch like Mission Impossible? You, you watch certain things like, you know, we watch these movies, these action films and things like that. I like action films. And, and, and you see that there is this mission that people have that is like world stage critical. Like if they don't fulfill the mission, guess what? The world blows up. Right? Everything, you know, uh, is destroyed because they didn't do it. So for me, I think that that's pretty exciting, right, to be part of something that is world-changing. Church, I want you to know something. You, as a Christ follower, are called to be a world-changer. I got an amen and I got a head nod. Maybe it's too early. I don't know. We'll see what happens at 11 o'clock service. I'll report to you all next week what they did. Here's the thing. You are called to be a world changer. You are called to be someone who is impacting the world in a great way. I love the video that we watched, right? As kids, we have these big dreams of things we want to do, and then reality sets in, right? Reality sets in. But you know what happens? I love Pastor Aldo. He got up here, and he exhorted us in the, in, in the service, and he shared with us about Jesus and him being on the boat, and that made all of the difference. And can I tell you something that Jesus did when, he, when they got him up? Pastor Aldo didn't share this because he didn't want to discourage you. But you know what he said to them? Oh, ye of little faith. That's what he said to them. He was like, what's up? In other words, you didn't have to wake me up. You could have rebuked the storm yourself is what he was saying to them. I mean, think about what Jesus was communicating to them. Why would he say, oh, ye of little faith? Because they were fearful and they thought they were going to die. But Jesus was on the boat with them. Jesus makes all of the difference. And so we have to walk in this truth. The truth is that God wants to use you to be a world changer. And world changing, listen, I want you to realize this. You can enter into someone's life and change their world. Hello. You can enter into someone's life and bring drastic and dramatic change. The question is, do you believe in the Jesus that is on that boat with you? Do you believe in the Jesus that is walking with you, the Jesus that died for those people? Do you believe in that Christ that he really wants to use you? And so again, the Christ follower's mission is world saving one life at a time. So the first thing I want you to repeat after me is this, say, what is the mission of a Christ follower. 
What is the mission of a Christ follower? And so I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time here, but I want you to just, you can mark this down. If you look at verses 1 through 5 and, and, and chapter 17 that we just read, what does Jesus say here? Basically, Jesus is praying a prayer. And in this prayer, he prays three different prayers, really. One prayer is about himself. The next prayer is about his direct disciples. The third prayer is about us and those who are going to be followers of Jesus after his disciples. And in the beginning of this prayer, Jesus prays something that is so very important. I love what he says. He says, Father, verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. He goes on, he communicates. He, he, he's sharing that he has glorified the Father. He says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Look at that. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Church, you know what? This morning as I, as I posted, I, I checked in here uh, on Facebook. One thing that I said is starting strong. But can I tell you something? It's not just about starting strong. It's about finishing strong. It's not just about entering into a moment. It is about finishing strong. And Jesus finished strong. But why did he finish strong? Because he was about one thing, bringing glory to the Father. And so what is the mission of the Christ follower? Well, Jesus glorified the Father by finishing the work which he had been given to do. My question is this, what is the work that we have been given to do? What's the work? What's the work that you've been given to do? What's the work that you have been called to do? Specifically as an individual, but also collectively, because here's the thing that I want you to realize, is that the Bible, the, the biblical language is never individualistic. It's always about us. And my third point, we'll get to that. But here's what we have to realize. Jesus glorified the Father. What does Jesus tell us? You can write this down. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 14. He tells us that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. So what does that mean to me? By these two components, looking at salt and looking at light, we know what? That our mission, our work is to bring life. Our mission and our work is to bring life. And so if, that, if you're writing notes, right, your mission is to bring life, to be a life giver, right, and to, to be a preserver of life, to be one who brings to life the life of God to bear on this world. It's funny because we know how salt operates, right? Salt operates as a preservant. It offers flavor. We know that salt does that, creates thirst. Like we, got, we get all of that stuff there. But thinking about light, light doesn't just expose stuff, right? I remember having someone come look at our AC in our house. And when they came and looked at the AC in the house, he offered us to do something when he was, they were replacing the AC in our older house. And he said, listen, you guys can do something here. You guys can put this light that's going to be in there and the light is going to do something. It's going to keep back the mold. Hello. Because in the dark and in the cool, guess what happens? It gets moldy, it gets nasty, and then guess what? You end up with all kind of allergies and or worse, you get sick. Just different things start to happen. But you know what the light does? If that light is shining there, not going to happen. The stuff is not going to be able to grow in the dark. And so again, our mission is to be life-giving. And what is this life? This life that we're supposed to be giving is supposed to be rooted in the way that we live. Church, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. We are called to be a living apologetic. A living apologetic. You are called to be a living apologetic. And you guys know what apologetics are, is. And so apologetics is a defense of the faith. 
And so your life is supposed to be a living apologetic. You are supposed to live a life that is communicating to the world the reasonableness to serving Christ. A life that is communicating why serving God is so very important. A life that is communicating that there is a God who created all things and that that God came in the form of a man, died in our place, rose again, and that now we can put faith in him. Our life is supposed to do that. And so again, it is not solely about preaching the gospel, but it's about living for God's glory. But being a living apologetic. Now, I want you to, uh, again, if you're writing notes down, you can write this down as well. Why does our mission matter? Why does our mission matter? And I'll give you three things here really quickly. One of them is it shapes culture. Our mission shapes culture. The second thing that I will say is that our mission strengthens followers of Christ. And the third thing that I will say is that it evangelizes unbelievers. And so three things that our mission does. Number one, it shapes culture. Number two, it strengthens followers of Christ. And number three, it causes us to evangelize unbelievers. I just want to talk about shaping culture. There's a book that I had to read, and so for, for those of you that don't know this, this year I just, I'm starting my master's program. Y'all pray for me. Pray for my family. Hallelujah. Um, I read a book, right? You know, normally you read, you know, you look at a book and you're like, oh, this is however many pages. And, you're, and you think, and at least me, I look at how many pages. I'm like, okay, this probably take me 30 minutes. This might take me an hour. Oh, glory to God. I read a book that 40 pages took me like two hours to read, right? And it was because the, 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 the letters on the page were very small, glory to God. <laughs> and I don't see this because I'm reading it on a Kindle, so it's all big enough for me to read it. But I'm like, why does this keep saying page 28, page 28, page? I keep turning pages, and it keeps saying page 28. I'm like, glory to God, right? So I have another book that's actually physical, right? So I, I look at it, I'm like, oh, now I understand. Because I looked at the books like this thick and, you know, about this big or whatever the case is. Anyway, I read this book, so, so please, again, pray for me. Um, so I'm looking at this book, and the book is called Reasonable Faith, Reasonable Faith. And it, it is probably, I, w- I would encourage you to buy this book. And, and the reason why is because over the next few weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some nuggets from that book, right? I can't give you every single thing in it, not because I can't do it, but because I just told you why. You know, 28 pages is, I mean, you know, 40 pages, that's a lot of stuff. And so we'd be here forever. You don't have time for that. But anyway, here's the thing. I'm going to give you some nuggets from there, but this is, this is something that I read in, in this book that made me understand how important evangelism and apologetics are to the culture that we live in. He gave me those three things, by the way, which is shaping culture, strengthening followers of Christ, and evangelizing the unbelievers. But here's the thing that happened. In the place of shaping culture, this is what he says. I'm going to quote this in a moment. The Enlightenment introduced secular secularism into European culture. And what, is, what, what does the Enlightenment do? It was this idea of free thinking. And it was the pursuit of knowledge with unfettered human reason alone. So it was just about the human reasoning. If you could reason it, if it made sense to you, you didn't have to have a whole bunch of facts behind it. But if it made sense to you, then you could argue and you could sound like a real intellectual. And so what happened was when the Enlightenment movement came in to, you know, to, to Europe, it put reason and religion at odds. And so all of a sudden, you couldn't be reasonable and be a religious person. Are, 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 you, are you tracking here? Right? You couldn't be reasonable and really believe that God actually exists. You couldn't be reasonable and actually believe that Christianity mattered, right? So you couldn't be that person, hence the reason of the book called Reasonable Faith. But here's what he says in the book. He says this, and this this is a quote. What awaits us in North America? Should our slide into secularism continue unchecked? 
is already evident in Europe. Now think about this. What he's saying is what's going on in Europe is what we're on our way towards. Although the majority of Europeans retain a nominal affiliation with Christianity, only about 10% are practicing believers, and less than half of those are evangelical in theology. So evangelical, just so you know, is it, it means that the gospel is central, right? They believe certain things, the virgin birth. They believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. They believe in, you know, all of the things that we believe in the gospel, the sinfulness of man, those types of things. So in Europe right now, you would have that, that type of demographic that is there. He goes on to say, the most significant trend in, in European religious affiliation is the growth of those classed as non-religious, right? That's what we would call the nuns here. Not nuns like Catholic nuns, but the nuns, right? Okay. From effectively, think about this, those who were non-religious, 0% of the population in Europe was non-religious in 1900. Today, it's over 22% that is non-religious, as a result, and here's, where, here's what struck me when I was reading this chapter. As a result, evangelism is immeasurably more difficult in Europe than it is in the United States. So he lived there for 13 years in Europe. And when he spoke, when, when he spoke evangelistically on university campuses across the continent, he personally testified how hard the ground is. It's difficult for the gospel even to get a hearing. Because what happens is we're, we're, we're telling people you're not intellectual. You're not reasonable for believing in this God. And, and we only talk about God and religion when it's to our benefit. And so he goes on to say this, and this will be the end of the quote here. The United States is following at some distance down this same road with Canada somewhere in between. If the situation is not to degenerate further, it is imperative that we shape the intellectual climate of our nation in such a way that Christianity remains a live option for thinking men and women. And so in our culture right now, we have people that are atheists, agnostic, that they are intellectuals. In the United States of America, you go online, you could see them all over the place. And they argue against Christianity, against its, against its reasonableness, that you, you can't believe this stuff because, man, that's just fake stuff. You can't believe in the Bible. Church, I want you to know something. And this is what I will plan to do over the next few weeks while we're together going through this series. Is we will look at Jesus and we will see how he evangelized. But we will also take a moment where I'm going to call it an apologetic moment. And what I want to do is I want to help you to understand that you as a child of God, and this is the reason why many of us don't want to go out there and defend the faith, is because we don't know how to present a reasonable argument for the God we believe in. Other than to say, well, I believe it because of my religious experience. But if I were to sit down with you, and I don't want you to raise your hand and tell me this, but if I were to sit down with you and say, hey, can you prove to me the existence of God? Would you have an answer for that? If someone said, came, came and said, hey, man, just show me that God exists. Can you show me this? Can you prove this to me? Can you give me some way to know? I, I mean, would you know how to answer that question? And I hope that at the end of this series that you have answers to those questions, that you're able to give more than one or two answers to those questions. What about the resurrection? If someone were to come to you and say, hey, man, how can you believe that somebody rose from the dead? How can you believe that? How is it you can believe something so crazy? I mean, think about it. Pastor Aldo said it, right? Like, that doesn't happen. Hello, nobody else has done that. There's nobody else. No other religion. Church, hear me when I say this. No other religion boasts what Christianity boasts. Christianity boasts that our Savior, that our prophet, that our God did what? He died and rose again. He's living. We boast that. Can you prove that? 
Can you argue that with someone who is there? Listen, why does this matter? And here's one thing that I will say. And he says this in this book. There's a lot of people that say that apologetics on an intellectual level, they really don't matter because people don't get saved through that kind of stuff. It's not true. It's not true. There's people out there, what they need is a spirit-filled person who also has knowledge to stand there and communicate with them what the truths are, what the reasonableness is. And so that's the goal for this series. So again, as we engage the culture on mission, we are to be salt and light and do so in an apologetic way. Again, not saying I'm sorry, but giving a defense to the faith. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, what does it mean to be in the world not of the world. What does it mean to be in the world, not of the world? So we know what our mission is. Our mission is to bring God glory. Our mission is to be salt and light in an apologetic way, to share this gospel as often as we are. God has called us to that. There is no question that that is what God has called us to. And so the struggle, church, is real. God calls us to be holy, does he not? He is holy himself. And yet there is this battle. While we are in the world, we are, the world is opposed to holiness. The world wants to promote what? It wants to promote a false sense of morality. Scales that are always being tipped and never have some alignment, right? That's what the world wants you to see. It doesn't want you to have like absolute truth or anything like that. And so what do we do? We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so here's what happens. There's two temptations. The one temptation is this. It's to separate our lives into Christian silos, never engaging the world in meaningful ways. That's the, that's the one temptation that's there. Like we're afraid to get contaminated, you know? It's kind of like when you, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, like now I don't wear white shoes barely ever. But when I was a kid, I loved like white sneakers. Like that was the thing, right, when I was growing up. And man, it always seemed like you wore white sneakers and guess what? As soon as you wore them, as soon as you got to school or something, someone stepped on them, right? Something fell on them, right? And so I, I, that's why I don't wear white sneakers anymore because whatever, right? <laughs> but the reality is, right, we, we you know, you and I, we are, we, it's, it's almost like we're that. Like we're walking around in white, and we're afraid to get dirty, right? We're afraid to be contaminated. And, and I always question, it's like, man, does God really live in you? Does God really live in you? That you're so weak in your Christianity that you can't be around anything ungodly because you're not going to maintain holiness? Man, I got a question. Is that real Christianity? Because it seems like Jesus was accused of eating with sinners. Now listen, I want to balance this out. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and become like them. Jesus ate with sinners and changed their lives. That's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Yeah, Jesus ate with sinners for sure. And the reason why was because he was communicating the gospel. He was drawing the line in the sand. He was calling people to repentance. That's the lifestyle that we live. But here's the other side, the other temptation that is there. It's to embrace the world system in thinking and just forget about the mission that you're on. That's the other side. One is that we're going to be so holy that we never get involved with anybody. We never engage anyone. And the other one is that we just live however we want to live. Jesus' prayer helps us, right? So look with me really quickly. We're going to look at verse 13 to verse 17, and we'll walk through this. And Jesus' prayer helps us. I want you to see what it means to be in the world but not of the world. Jesus says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and what the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Now pause for a moment and think about that. Jesus is what? Jesus is saying, I've given them your word. The world hates them, right? Listen, the world is not going to love us, church. 
They're not going to love us when we don't bow to the idols of the culture. The world is not going to love us when we don't succumb to the ideologies of the world. The world is not going to love us when we call sin, sin. That's just not going to be a reality. The world is not going to love us when we say Jesus is the only way to salvation. The world's not going to love us. You're going to hate that. And so Jesus goes on, he shows us here, he says, he says, the world has hated them just as I am not of the world. So it's, it's that, because Jesus is not of the world, we're not of the world. He says this in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Again, I don't want them to be so separated in their silos, but what? But that you should keep them from the evil one. To be in the world and not of the world is to be kept by God from sin. It is to be kept by God from the plans of the enemy. That's what it means to be in the world, not of the world. He goes on to pray, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so what does it mean to be in the world, not of the world? It means to be sanctified by God's word, to live in a way that is living holy unto the Lord. To be in the world, church, and I'll say it like this, is to be in the culture, with understanding, but never losing sight. Listen to this. You are a vessel chosen by God. Let me say that again. You are a vessel chosen by God to represent him brilliantly shining the light of Christ wherever you find yourself in love with grace and truth. Are you here? That is what God calls us to do. He calls us to be a light that shines brightly for the glory of God, communicating with love, with grace and truth, bringing the gospel to bear, bringing the truth of Scripture to bear on the lives of every single person that we encounter. The third thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, what does it mean to be sent like Christ was sent? What does it mean to be sent like Christ was sent? Look at verse 18. Verse 18 to verse 23 He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so what did Jesus do? He says, Lord, you sent me, and the, the same way you sent me, I'm sending them. I'm sending them into this world. And what does Jesus do? He separates himself so that way you and I know how to be separated, so that way you and I know how to live separate lives. Verse 20 says this, I do not pray for these alone, and this is where he prays for us, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I want you to know something, church. Our mission that God has sent us on, it is not individualistic. Our mission is directly connected to our unity. Think about that. Our mission is directly connected to our unity. If we are not unified, we cannot be effective in the mission that God has given us. If we are not walking in oneness, we're not going to be effective because our resources are not going to be focused on what? On on disciple making. It's not going to be focused on that. Our love is not going to be evident to the world. And so what we have to do is we have to ensure that we are walking together. He goes on to say that they may all be one in verse 21. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me again. Effective evangelism is about the... 
the revelation of Christ, we want Jesus to be revealed, then we have to be one in him. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Look at that. Jesus is praying so much for our unity. That's what he's doing. He's praying for our unity, our oneness. That For what reason? That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I want you to turn to one other portion of Scripture. Turn to, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus was sent on mission as you're turning there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus was sent on a mission. And with everything that he needed to fulfill that mission he had, church, he does the same thing for you and I. He sends us on that mission, and he's given us every single thing that we need in order to do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, For we do not command, command ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are we have sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Look at what Paul says. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. It goes on to say, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no, no one according to the flesh, even though we know Christ according to the flesh. Yet, yet now, we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ Jesus, or God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, here's what I want to say, and I will sum up these verses in this. Here's what it is. Number one, if you're taking notes, write it down. Jesus was sent as a sacrifice. We are sent as ambassadors. Jesus was sent as a sacrifice. We are sent as ambassadors. Jesus made reconciliation possible. We make reconciliation known. That is how we are sent. We are sent as ambassadors, as those who have the authority of what? The gospel. And verse 21 is what? Verse 21 is the gospel. Look what it says. He made him who knew no sin, right? God is good, right? We say this all the time. God is holy. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us because men, it, man, mankind is sinful. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners. And so what? We need a savior. But he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. For what? So that we could become the righteousness of him who died for us. Is it not awesome? That our God makes this great exchange on the cross of Calvary. And on the cross, he becomes our sin, our substitute, dies in our place so that way we can call on him and we can put our faith in Christ. 
We can trust him with our lives eternally. He saves us. We are ambassadors. And here's what I'll say as I wrap this up. We are not saviors, but we are representatives of the Savior. And we are called to represent him in character. We're called to represent him in compassion. We are called to represent him in commitment to the mission that we have been sent on. And here's my closing question for you. Will you make a radical commitment to the mission in 2020? Will you make a radical commitment to the mission in 2010? Just look back really, really quickly, verse 9. I want you to see this because our vision is to please the Lord. That's the vision of our church. That's why we exist today. Look what Paul says in verse 9. There's a lot of different motivations that Paul had. But look what he says beginning in verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, speaking of God. For we, listen to this, church. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I am tr- and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul's motivation was what? He wanted to please the Lord. He knew he was going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And when he stands before that judgment seat, he wants to receive for the good things that he had done in this earth. That's what he wanted to do. He wants to be pleasing unto God. And so here's the things, and again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. What do I mean by making a radical commitment to Christ? Here's what it is. First of all, it is that you acknowledge that you are a disciple and you are called to be a disciple maker. Acknowledge that. You're a disciple. You are a disciple. And you are called to be a disciple maker. Listen, church, let's let's not just go through the motions. Let's be about the Father's business. Let's be about making disciples. Not just coming to church, not just learning more about Jesus, but about making Jesus known under this world. The second thing is connect with at least, at least another brother or sister for accountability to this. Listen, don't go it alone. Don't sit by yourself and you lose. And listen, don't get an accountability person in your life that's going to just be like, oh, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Because, you know, we love those accountability partners that never call us to the carpet, that never say, hey, man, step up. Hey, man, stop thinking like that. Hey, man, let's live for God's glory. Hey, who are you praying for? Hey, who are you evangelizing? Hey, who are you discipling, right? I can't do that for everyone. But the reality is you need to connect. If you're going to make a radical commitment, then it's number one, recognizing who you are, acknowledging that, acknowledging the mission you're supposed to be on, and then making yourself accountable to someone else. And the last thing is to pray for lost people to be saved and opportunities to share the gospel. Pray for lost people to be saved. There's one thing that I know is this, is that if you are not praying for lost people, you won't think about lost people. If you are not praying, and so what I want you to do right now, you see your notes, you have your little notepad there, your little book, or your, or your little handout. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this for a moment. Who do you know? Right now, you can write it down right now. Who do you know? You know they're not walking with Jesus. You know they're not serving the Lord. It could be more than one person. Who do you know right now? now I want you to think about this for a moment. Don't just think about them as an individual getting saved. What about their family? What about their family coming to Christ? What about understanding that you are impacting more than an individual, but you're, a, you're impacting a family? And so write those names down. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you right now, and we thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness. 
We thank you because you are a good, good father. You're a good God. You are holy in all of your ways, God. And Lord, today we come to you thanking you for the mission that you have given us, thanking you for the calling that you've given us. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be present, that your Holy Spirit would be manifested, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, that we would know who we are, Lord God, that we would make ourselves accountable, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, that we would pray for those neighbors, those friends, those family members, God, that desperately need you. And Lord, may we believe you for great things to be using us in this year in ways that are beyond our understanding. Father, I know that the enemy doesn't want this message to penetrate our hearts. I know that the enemy wants to hinder us from being evangelistic voices out there in this culture. And so right now, I stand against every work, every lie, and every plan of the wicked one that would try to steal this word from the hearts of my brothers and my sisters in this place. God, may we take this mission seriously, and may we know that we are your chosen vessels to be your representatives in this earth, and may we, Lord God, commit to you to living for your glory, for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.